You're listening to Drinking on the Job, D-O-T-J. I'm your host, John Coyle. Drinking on the Job is a toast to the culture of food, wine, and all things fermented. We'll be talking with winemakers, musicians, artists, late-night bartenders, scoundrels, and more. It's time to grab a glass before its last call. The success of ZD Wines can only be attributed to the dedication and winemaking philosophy of the Duluth family. Four generations, still family-owned, an iconic brand that is still the best of the best. Today, I am fortunate enough to be sitting with ZD Wines, an iconic Napa brand, and still one of the best of the best. I'm sitting with the uh, president, Brett, uh, part of the Duluth family, four generations in. Hey, Brett, thanks for jumping on. Absolutely. Uh, great to be with you, John, and uh, look forward to a nice little chat here. Yeah, yeah, cool. So I guess, uh, like everything, we'll start at the beginning. Let's start with the name uh, ZD, so people get a feel for like what was happening when this started. Yeah, it's kind of a cool history. My dad and a partner, they were in aerospace. Um, they worked for a company called Aerojet General in Sacramento, and they became friends. They actually tried um, a couple other businesses before making wine. So they, but they both had the entrepreneurial spirit. Um, but while they were at Aerojet and they were working away, they um, decided to make a little wine in the garage and they thought that was fun, and so then it came time to name it. And uh, there's actually two meanings to the to the name. So they, as partners, uh, first last names Zapponi and Delurs. Um, but also, while they were at Aerojet, kind of more fun and more interestingly, they worked under a quality control program while they were testing rocket engines um, for aerospace. They were, as my dad liked to say, chasing Sputnik. Right. And yeah. under that program, they had a big quality control program with ZDs all over the plant that stood for zero defects. So <laughs> that was the fun. And then my mom got so tired of telling that story that she named her cats Zesty and Delightful and said the winery <laughs> was named after them. <laughs> that's, that's, actually, that's actually very good. That must have been a pretty crazy time for your dad. America had such optimism in the late 60s. The Apollo program, uh, the landing on the moon, your dad being part of that. And it sounds like this optimism bleeded into to his, uh, I think everything he attacked with a certain amount of having known him, a certain amount of passion and um, just a love, right? Yeah. Well, he grew up with a grocery store, so he knew his, his grandfather and father had grocery stores here in Northern California, actually in Berkeley. And so he grew up with the family spirit of that. And then, yes, the timing of uh, joining the, the, sp the space industry was very good with Kennedy committing the U.S. to the space race and being involved in that was very exciting for him. And then um, then deciding to make wine in the in the 60s was uh, a little unusual, but uh, allowed him to um, move on to something that was um, a true passion with uh, with production and with uh, farming. So kind of, uh, yeah, great, great stuff. Yeah, so a couple, I can't help but think what he would think of Elon Musk today making his own rockets and knowing how brilliant your dad was, like, of course, our, our budgets were bloated. <laughs> I, I, I would, wouldn't you just, I mean, he, he passed away, unfortunately, but wouldn't you just love to talk to him about that today? 
Well, he would he would love it. I mean, he was um, intrigued already by the uh, the Tesla vehicle. My dad was, and you know, thought that that the electric uh, motor was the way to go. And so he was our, he he did have some feel for Elon, um, but not not so much with the space game. So yeah, that would be an, another interesting push for sure. Well, you know what's what's cool about your dad in the winery is, um, but your dad had this vision, and and before. Every, anybody was really deeply into these organics um, and farming organically and the environment. I mean, I remember meeting your dad 25 years ago, and um, he would talk about compost uh, piles and taking their temperatures and just so far ahead uh, of what people were doing back in that era. I mean, um, I don't, you know, it's, a, it's just pretty amazing. Yeah, I mean, just first of all, just deciding to make wine, that was kind of a yeah. crazy thing for uh, an American anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, he uh, he definitely followed his own path. But the organic side of um, of his um, being really, you know, came. I mean, the, the wine industry brought that to him more, but he, he it came in, in his DNA without a doubt. Mm-hmm. Um, he was definitely, as, as you also know, um, and I'm sure we'll talk about it later with crush challenge and yep. his non-toxic cure for lymphoma. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the farming side, you know, he, he really, it came in 1983 when we had some leaf hoppers in the field and he hadn't really, he hadn't really had a farming background. And so he called the farm advisor and the farm advisor said, told him what to spray. And, uh, he did. And, um, you know, after he had sprayed and recognized that you know, he wasn't supposed to re-enter the vineyard, uh, for, uh, three days, right. that, um, really was the beginning of the organic farming effort because he's like, I am never going to do that again. And, um, so I call it the beginning of our organic farming was farming by neglect. Um, it was more about what we weren't going to do than what we were, were going to do. Right. Um, and then years of, you know, study and going to uh, seminars and, you know, there were some great organic seminars that we all um, joined and he, he led the way to, um, you know, what we are today with the hundred percent of our fruit coming into the winery being certified organic. So right. it's pretty cool. It is. And you know, it's, what's uh, there's only, I think there's just a handful of really still family owned, great wineries left in Napa um, for a bunch of reasons that we all know, the parkerization of Napa wines and uh, certainly all the environmental issues that had to be dealt with. But um, I have to give it to ZD, to uh, the winery and, and your family, to um, sticking to a mission. Um, and I'll give, give you an example of what I'm talking about. Like ZD Chardonnay is zero mallow, so it retains its high acidity, uh, uses American oak, uh, which is very few uh, wineries that use American oak. I mean, Ridge does a few others, but not with their Chardonnay. Um, and, you know, for years, you and I have had this conversation back in the day about uh, people like, man, why do they use American oak? Why aren't they using French oak? Because everybody was using French oak. And you guys just stuck to your guns. You're like, no, you know what? This is who we are. This is our 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 thing we're going to leave. This is our, our lead with. We'll lead with our Chardonnay. Um, and it's... Uh, and you've never wavered from that. You never let the tail wag the dog like many, many wineries have done and have since been bought out or closed. Uh, and I have to give you give you that. Uh, it, it's pretty amazing. And you've continued to roll like that forever. Yeah, well, thanks. So there's kind of multiple things in there. I mean, talking about the Chardonnay specifically. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't that we weren't open to uh, to changing, but 
when we did our blind tastings and our comparisons that we liked what we were doing and we found it was better. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, in, at least in our minds, and I guess that's what mattered at the time and has uh, allowed us to stick to our guns. Um, but on the family front and, you know, being a family winery, that is, you know, kind of core to who we are. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think for, um, who we are and what we believe, um, it's been great to be able to, um, continue on through generations now. And, um, you know, with my, my dad kicking it off, me being second generation, Brandon and Jill and my kids being third generation and, um, you know, Brandon, Brandon's a winemaker today. So that's right. pretty cool. Uh, my brother was, and so there's been, you know, a lot of good transition and, um, we plan on continuing that and, you know, yeah, what other, other vintners have done and how they, how they have carried on or not is kind of individual, but, uh, yeah, we're happy to be in this game and enjoying it and having it, living a good life. So, yeah. so you know, it's, it sounds so like, um, you know, incredibly part of this like wine family. Give me some of your memories growing up. And by the way, they're not all just like, uh, you know, incredible photo shoots. I mean, you're up to your elbows and, you know, grapes and juice and, and the labor of, of, of making wine um, is incredible. Give us some of your like early memories, maybe when you didn't want to be part of it or didn't want to do it, but you're, this was your family, you know, business. Yeah. Well, we had, you know, so there's, um, Lots of stories that go back. We started in 69 in, uh, in the Sonoma Carneras in a little rented farm building, and it was a weekend operation. You know, my dad kept his day job for the first decade we were in the business. And so what that meant was, um, you know, when I was young, it meant family weekends uh, where lots of my friends were off, you know, playing games and doing other stuff. We were all get piling in the car. We lived in Santa Rosa about an hour away from where the winery was. And, uh, we would drive to the winery and, uh, and work away on, um, you know, bottling and, um, et cetera. And that means, you know, uh, a lot of, a lot of work. There's a lot of uh, labor involved with winemaking, especially when you're as, when you're small and as small as we were, you didn't have the mechanization that, um, you know, comes along with getting a little larger. But, um, so it meant throwing, you know, throwing barrels and putting them onto buckets and draining wine out of them and, you know, cleaning pumps and et cetera. And so that's not necessarily what a, a you know, a 14 year old wants to be doing with uh, his Saturday <laughs> no. afternoon. No. Um, so yeah, so there are, there are certainly some challenges you uh, grow to appreciate it as you get a little older and, um, you know, and we did, you know, so I, you know, I can remember actually as young as when we were, I was probably eight, you know, my mom, uh, saying to me on the way home, well, you know, you can, you can, uh, get your 50 cents now or that, you know, or I, I can just give you your 50 cents on the way home. <laughs> right. And so we were getting paid something, um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. it was, it was yeah. small, but it seemed, you know, it was important to us. It allowed me to go down and get a hamburger for a quarter on, yeah. <laughs> at the time. That was the old days. But, uh, so I'm, I'm showing my age, I guess, but, uh, that's pretty crazy. They, um, I could see, I could see, I could see a young Brett at sixteen ch- chasing the girls and saying, "Hey, you'd like to come back and clean some barrels with me?" <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, did don't it work? Think, there weren't any girls around. <laughs> no, that that was not happening at ZD in those days. Uh, the winery was it was a four hundred square foot building. It was a garage basically that we rented from Gino's cousin in the Sonoma Carneras, and 
it was a dirt driveway that led to it and now uh, it was all it was all work for sure and uh well i mean i shouldn't say that we had we had family dinners and um you know some great times and you know learned the wine industry from the ground up that's for sure but it's such a great american story you know this is uh I mean, Fourth of, July, 4th of July just passed. It's such a great American story. Um, at what point does it stop being like, okay, you said a decade in. Uh, what happens when you're like, okay, this isn't a hobby anymore to business? Like, where were you and what happened? And, you know, and it becomes a legit business full time. Your dad's not working um, the, side, the side job. Yeah, well, 19, so that's 1978 for mm-hmm. us. And so um, there's a lot to, lot to, uh, graft at that point, but the winery had been in business for 10 years. Um, you know, my dad thought that, you know, after five years, they would, might be able to, you know, swing it, but, um, weren't, weren't able to make that happen. And in 78, my dad had, um, built up a full year's worth of vacation, um, because (laughs) he didn't, didn't take any. Um, and, uh, at that point he, uh, said, all right, I'm going to give this a swing for a year and see if I can get it done. And so went in search of a loan and, um, within, uh, a piece of land, well, well, to get the loan, he wrote a prospectus. So he, he also, um, wrote all the software programs for the company. There was no off the shelf soft software for our billing and accounting. So he, he did those things. He definitely was an entrepreneur. Um, and with that, the biggest thing was the prospectus going to the banks and getting a loan. So you got to kind of remember 1978 interest rates were about uh, 18% and, uh, still hard to get. And so he, as he, you know, kind of laughingly looked back on it, uh, went to 20 banks, as he said, with his prospectus showing 10 years of a company that was operating in the black but um without any money um you know they they basically invested three thousand dollars in 69 and nobody took a salary and they just uh reinvested um all this all the sales money back into the business and grew it so they were making 4500 cases of wine in 1978 um but with no with a 450 square foot building and renting other stuff and so anyway the 20th bank read the numbers wrong and they, uh, they, as my dad laughingly said, and they, uh, they got the half a million dollar loan it took to buy the property that we are on now in Rutherford, right in the heart of Napa Valley. And, uh, that also allowed us to be the contractors on building a basic 6,000 square foot building. It was what you call a Butler building. So a metal sided building that was very functional. Um, and, uh, he left his day job. He, he left, he actually moved from Aerojet from the, aerospace industry to thin films to Santa Rosa, where I mentioned earlier that we, uh, we lived. And, uh, so then we moved to Napa where, um, we, like I say, literally pounded the nails on the property. My grandfather actually had a, had an RV trailer and he lived on the property that, uh, for us during the time to, you know, keep, keep it secure while all the equipment was there that we were using and et cetera. And yeah, it was a, it was a true family, uh, effort. Well, let's, let's, uh, uh, blessings to the man who couldn't do math and couldn't carry a one to give you the loan to get this yeah. thing, to get this thing, get this thing started. Exactly. Uh, well, so so my dad asked him years later why he was able to give the loan, and he said, "Well, two reasons because uh, 
I didn't have to go to the bank board. The loan was small enough that I could give it. And the second reason he said was because I liked you. <laughs> oh, that's, that's, so there you go. That's pretty cool. But you know, yeah. uh, ZD continues to evolve. It's such a such a great brand still. And then you launched Abacus, um, which is the Solera Blend Cab, because you also make a Cab Reserve Cab Pinot Reserve Pinot Reserve Shard. Um, but uh, explain what Abacus is to people listening. Uh, it is definitely a unicorn wine. Uh, so why don't you explain what that wine is? Yeah, so Abacus is our pinnacle wine for sure. Um, and it came to us, um, through, you know, some, some years of winemaking, we didn't actually come up with the idea until 1995 or nine, you know, as we were about to bottle our 92 reserve Cabernet Sauvignon, which is what defines Abacus. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was really the, the conversation and, um, understanding of what people want in Cabernet Sauvignon. Um, you know, we recognize Cabernet is the king of Napa Valley without a question. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe, maybe Cabernet is the king of the world and wines. Um, but anyway, so with that thought, we recognized that the most common question we would get with our Cabernets that we'd been making for quite a few years at that point was when should I drink it? And, yeah. you know, we were, we were drinking some older wines at a family retreat and talking about it and have the discussion of, you know, what people really want when they ask that question or what we think that, that the answer should be is you want to find that point where, you know, as Cabernet ages, it's developed the, the um, complexity that comes through aging of wine and the softness that comes with the softening of the tannins um, and the fruit um, kind of melding into this um, wonderful thing that um, Cabernet can be. Um, but what often can happen is you, as the wine ages, it loses its fruit, um, and, and does develop these complex characters. But, um, if you wait too long or the wine ages more rapidly, maybe than you expected, um, it's a little disappointing. It's, you have to give it more respect than enjoy it is what Mm -hmm. I would say. And so Abacus was an idea of blending the younger wine with the older wine to create the best of both worlds. Basically, um, as the label, back label describes in kind of a tongue-in-cheek kind of way, uh, um, a fountain of youth for um, Cabernet Sauvignon or what we describe as a Solera-style blend of every reserve Cabernet Sauvignon we've ever made. Mm-hmm. And so with that, you know, we tabled it and we, you know, we had that retreat and we tabled it because my brother was thinking about, he was our winemaker at the time and he was thinking about how we would possibly hold wine in barrel. And we were talking about really into perpetuity. Um, and so we wanted to think about that and we wanted to think about how it would really go. But unbeknownst to anybody, we are about to taste our 92, I mean, about to um, bottle our 92 Reserve Cabernet, which was barrel-aged for three years. Right. Um, so this was 1995, and um, we were tasting it against competitive wines um, that are in our neighborhood. And um, so we were doing a blind tasting, and unbeknownst to any of the 10 tasters that were ranking the wine at then on a 20-point scale, he introduced a... Um, wine which was the 92 the 93 and the 94 as a blend Ah. and that wine crushed the tasting um it it um not only did it beat the competitors um but it beat our 92 um quite soundly and so that was our beginning of the thought process and the continuing process of 
making the decision to hold some of the 92 reserve Cabernet back in barrel and not bottle it all. And so we did that for quite a few years and, and kept tasting it and kept being very impressed with um, the blend. And so finally, after we had seven vintages in barrel, we had 92 through 98 vintages in barrel, we um, blended them all together. So we created one wine, which is the Solera. So that was the base. And from that wine, we bottled 15% of it. And that became the first bottling of Abacus. And so every year, so we returned 85% back to barrel. And because, as I mentioned, we, we barrel aged the reserve Cabernet for three years, um, we actually can ha- have three vintages that we can dose into that base right. Solera to bring that youthful character back to it. And the amazing thing, the truly amazing thing, even to us, is that we are about to complete the 24th bottling. We just did the blending of it. So wow. we've been doing it now. So 1999 was the first release. And so we are now on our 24th release, which has 30 vintages of our reserve Cabernet Sauvignon in the bottle. So it's a, yeah. it's a milestone, yeah. 30, literally 30 years of, yeah. uh, of VD reserve Cabernet Sauvignon are in the 24th bottling. That's of crazy. It is the unicorn wine. Everybody should look for and save for it. Such a special wine. My, f- my favorite moments were when it got released and you came to the New York market and you literally would, uh, show everybody how to work an abacus, an old school abacus with the beads. And it was on the, it's on the label. So you would explain it at, uh, at great length. And, uh, I, th- I was thinking about it this morning. You should just do a YouTube class on how to read an abacus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Put it, put it up on YouTube. I guarantee you. And yeah, I, that's a, that's a good one. Uh, and I think that act, we've tried to use a, a little bit of our YouTube, uh, video to talk about abacus we haven't done one specifically just on on the abacus but it's a good point and it is the reason you know people who don't know what you know the the meaning the reason for the the um the name of the product it does come back to the abacus and that's because when we went to um to uh decide what we were going to call it um we had thought that we were going, it was actually not what we were going to call it, but when we were trying to decide uh, the labeling on it, we thought we were going to be able to put the vintages onto this multi-vintage wine. And it turned out that the TTB would not allow us to do that. And so the abacus, we named it abacus so we could hang that medallion, the abacus medallion around the neck of the bottle. And it describes actually the first and last vintage in the bottling without telling the TTB that we were doing that provided you could read an abacus. <laughs> so you have to be able to read an abacus. And so, right. yes. Yeah. So that does come back to, uh, it, it scares a few people off, but it's really not that complicated. Um, and maybe my description, uh, gets a little, gets a little too, too difficult for some people. Mostly I think once people hear it and see it, they, uh, they get it. So let's, um, you know, it, it, your family has given so much to the community, um, we, we should talk about your dad, uh, his passing and, uh, um, the way in which he passed with his, um, trying to, um, cure himself, uh, not by himself. That sounds like he's some quack, but with the help of, uh, some, you know, brilliant physicians and, and then the idea to do this crush challenge. Uh, let's go into that a bit, explain what that is. And, uh, of course it has to do with cycling and 
You're one of the most competitive people I know. Next to Tom Burns, I think you both dope before these rides so you can kick everybody's <laughs> ass. But that's, <laughs> that's a personal it. opinion. But, um, <laughs> but uh, let's talk about uh, when your dad, um, his fight uh, at the end, and then uh, uh, the birth of the Crush Challenge. Yeah, so my dad was always very into health um, and uh, basically made it a, a third career, um, you know, and, and so we kind of, um, as we continued on in the winery, his organic approach um, moved to, um, you know, thinking about health and thinking about eating healthy and doing everything he could. He, he actually wanted to live to be 130, as he said. <laughs> um, so unfortunately, that didn't happen. Um, but, uh, he, he was very aware of health and what was going on with it. And so in 2001, he was diagnosed with mantle cell lymphoma. Uh, and so he did, he, um, put him, poured himself into that, um, effort to try to figure out something, um, other than chemo and radiation to treat his, um, cancer similar to his organic beliefs. Um, he believed that, um, you know, he wanted to build, um, strength to fight the disease rather than, um, you know, destroy, you know, destroy everything. And, you know, uh, as he had friends who died from yeast infections, uh, as a result of having chemo and he was very up on all the literature and et cetera. So anyway, so with that, that background, he went in search of, um, a, somebody who would do research on um organic approaches to um or you know healthy approaches to treating the disease and um after you know meeting with many doctors and trying actually multiple um different approaches himself um he found Dr. Toscano with UC Davis um Medical Center who was doing his own research on monoclonal antibodies um, cause he did, he, he believed in science, my father that is, and, mm-hmm. um, he did want to have the research done and there. He found that there was really very little to no research being done on alternative methods. And so he, Dr. Toscano agreed to do some, some, uh, uh research with him continuously saying that to my father that he should be doing chemo and radiation. But along the way, he found, um, a, uh, a product that was fermented wheat germ that um, was actually successful in shrinking my father's tumor. Um, And so Dr. Toscano, you know, had been monitoring my father and recognizing what he was doing and said, wow, what is it that you've been doing? And so they had the conversation that led to a a professorship that um, we developed with UC Davis to find a non-toxic cure for lymphoma with a big part of the research going into studying um, the the um, fermented wheat germ and its impact. And we are very close at this point to um, getting it to human trials at UC Davis, um, not as a, as a full bore treatment, as a or standalone treatment, I should say, but it's recognized that um, it is a very good adjunct to um, other treatments, you know, and I, I'm not a doctor and I don't want to go too deep right. into that, but, um, the, 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 the work is, is happening. Um, and so we, we are raising money for it. And so to turn to the crush challenge, yep. which is the event that we have created to, um, fundraise, it does come back to, um, the passion for 
um, cycling, which uh, to some degree was found for, for me, at least the, the racing part of it, um, through Tom and his connection with, I guess, Blue Ribbon and yep. cycling yeah. and the Tour de France. And we actually ended up sponsoring the Tour of California in, um, you know, the professional bike race that right. was here for quite a few years. And so we developed lots of relationships with the cycling world. Um, and that led to us creating our own event, um, the Crush Challenge, to fundraise um, for the cause. And we also have another cause. We raise money for the Boys and Girls Club Teen Center here locally. And so the event supports both of those those causes and um, has turned out great. It's going to be, as you know, August 27th. Yep. and. T. Edward Wine is um, an amazing supporter of the event and has been now for quite a few years. And uh, yeah, it's raising raising money for great causes. Well, it's an amazing event. It's so much fun. Um, it's a beautiful ride. And, you know, and then the celebration afterwards, uh, there's great wine. Uh, there's beer, thanks to me and Teresa Derizio. Um <laughs> <laughs> We came up for a ride. There was just wine to drink. I grabbed Teresa and said, what? We need cold beer. She got beer. She texted me recently and said, hey, we got beer. <laughs> uh, cool. <laughs> we, we do have beer as one of our, <laughs> yeah. our, our purveyors this year. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's meant to be, you know, the ride is just that. I mean, often people want to call it a race, and we, we um, keep insisting I keep having to tone it down. As you say, yeah. I'm a little competitive as Tom <laughs> is. And, um, but with that, we, uh, we, we try to make it, um, a fun ride and we've actually toned it down to where there's a 17 mile ride as short as that and a mm. 38 mile ride. So nothing really long, right. super long. And then we have the, the, um, the big, uh, fam, family get together and with 10 wineries and 10 restaurants from Napa and the Yonkville Park, which is, uh, just, um, you know, pretty, pretty great for, a, a, a cycling event to host after a, a ride like that. And then the dinner is, um, oh. yeah, well, last year, as you know, was the lobster boil. Yeah. Uh, this year we're going to be a little more formal about it. We've done it more formal and less formal. And <laughs> yeah. anyway, we you try know, to have fun with it. It's a, it's amazing. Cause people get up and make speeches and they make speeches about your dad and what you're doing for the community and how, uh, how successful the, um, these therapies are, 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 are going. Um, and just to be part of it, you feel all this incredible love and sense of community, which uh, I give, you, know, you can feel your dad's presence, your family's presence. Um, and it's such a, an amazing thing just uh, to be part of. And I think we're bringing out 10 people this year. We always try to bring out a crew. And we want to bring more and more and bring more, uh, shed more light on it because it's such an amazing uh, amazing uh, event, uh, and we just did. Uh, yeah, Blue Ribbon, T. Edward, and, and ZD are kind of all attached. Um, you know, I just did the fried chicken and uh, ZD Chardonnay, the best pairing. And uh, actually, ZD Chardonnay is the best summer white wines out there. It's just so crisp and beautiful. Um, Brett, we are at the part of the show where the good Lord comes to you in a dream. And says Brett, you have you have somewhere to be. In another dimension, and so we're going to give you a gift. You're going to have one last day on the planet, and you can eat what you want, you can drink what you want, and you get to listen to a band or a piece of music. So, what would you be eating on this last day, and what would you be drinking, and what would you be listening to? Well, so uh, it would be a celebration with friends and family. I'll tell you that first. Okay. Um, that would be. That would be the key to it for me as much as um, any of the rest. But uh, 
we would be a celebration with uh, with wines of um, many sorts of also of friends. Many of my friends are are vintners, and I, I enjoy drinking their wines, but as well as our own, um, and uh, you know, enjoying that. And you know, probably if we get to the music portion of um, of where you're asking, you know, if I could have uh, Elton John come and play, I'd probably go with that. Okay. He's uh, just been such an amazing musician for so many years yep. and played in so many different genres. I've always appreciated his music uh, to the fullest. But I will tell you that um, the Beatles song 64 comes to mind because it's my brother's 64th birthday today. And so we've been talking about it. And it was <laughs> actually the song that um, Natalie and I, my wife, uh, after we were married, was our was the song that played um, as we... Uh, as we left the altar. So, Oh, that's the song. Um, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. What are you eating? Yeah. What am I eating? You know, so if I, um, uh, so braised short ribs and abacus would be, a would be kind of right at okay. the top of my, my, my chart. But, um, I, I also, I mean, you know, your your uh, fried chicken and Chardonnay would, <laughs> would be pretty enjoyed too. Yeah. And some French fries along the way. And, you know, I mean, you know, I, I I'm have no problem with some pretty serious gluttony. So okay, um, yeah, it's your last meal. I, I, yeah, <laughs> I would, I would, I could go into a lot of different zones there, and I think you know, the spice of life is to enjoy lots of different things. I was just um, with some friends, and we uh, enjoyed sea urchin with uh, oh, with our urchin. with our sh- chardonnay, and that was something that was. Uh, yeah, not not something I have too often. I've probably only had it three or four times in my life, and it's just absolutely delicious. So, agreed. Yeah, lots of good, lots of good opportunities. Yeah. So, how do how how do people find a ZD Instagram uh, website? Why don't you shout out that? Yeah, so um, you know, ZDWines dot com is the the easiest. I mean, that's the uh, the simplest, but we do have uh, an Instagram page. I'm, I'm, you know, my social media skills are <laughs> are somewhat <laughs> limited, to be honest. Um, but you know, we have all the usual, um, you know, ZD Wines uh, type okay. uh, addresses that that fit the appropriate um, genre. Cool. Well, hey, Brad, I want to say thank you for being on DOTJ podcast. Absolutely. No, thanks for having me, and um, hopefully. Uh, this will um, enthuse some people about our wines and our family that um, maybe didn't know about um, as much as they did before. So, Absolutely. That's the point. Everybody listening, check out my uh, website as well, drinkingonthejob.com, for past episodes at Hank Cappy, Alice Firing, great winemakers, great families, great stories like Brett told today. Um, but thanks for being on, Brett. All right, John. Thank you. Hi. Have a great afternoon. All right. Take care. Bye. All right. Thanks. Bye. Thanks again for listening. Don't forget to check us out at dotjpodcast.com. Until then, I'll see you at the bar. Doing the garden, digging the weeds. Who could ask for more? Will you still need me? Will you still feed me when I'm 64? Every summer.